What's up, everybody? It's May 4th, 2020, and this is episode 47 of the ClapperCast. I'm Burke. I'm Sean. And we're still waiting for the NHL to come back, Sean. Still waiting. Still waiting. Going to be a while. But we're getting some news now. They've been, uh, they've been talking a little bit more about, about different plans to come back lately. Um, we saw over the last week, one of the common ones that had been getting more, more airtime was the idea of a hub city. I think uh, I think the intention is like one team per division acts as a hub city for the rest of the regular season or for a handful of games, and then they'll kind of work out playoffs from that point on in a couple of them. Yeah, so just, you know, sharing a rink, basically. And, I mean, we joked about it, that places like, you know, Saskatoon and middle of Canada <laughs> when there's less people might work and the NHL ran with that idea so I'm expecting our royalty checks for this right? bailout plan anytime over here <laughs> <laughs> I think uh, I think at this point the league is looking more at cities that already have a team so I think um, at one point I saw Edmonton Minnesota um, rally and an undetermined Atlantic division team would house the rest of, or house the rest of the teams in the division. Um, I think all of the teams are putting in like bids for their city or their rink to host the rest of the seasons or the rest of the games. Mm-hmm. And at that point, I think the league will um, evaluate them and they'll probably have to factor in proximity to hotels and like practice arena and uh, travel and all that type of stuff within the city. So to find out like which one's going to have like the the closest closest hotels and the most um, accommodation nearby and the closest practice rink and stuff like that. Yeah, they'll probably need multiple practice rinks. For sure. To just, to just eliminate exposure and stuff and cross-contamination and all that. Um, I mean, I, I said it before too, like, presuming it in this sit- in this situation is just a logistical nightmare to try and yeah, coordinate the amount of quarantining and testing and uh, sanitation and distancing between team uh, various team employees and off ice official or off ice employees never mind the players themselves yeah um Do you, could you imagine if the league had to enforce social distancing on the ice couldn't be within <laughs> 6 feet of another player while you're playing don cherry would be <laughs> livid <laughs> he would not be like he would not watch those games no definitely not see um do you remember i think it was matt zuccarello got this like joke stick that was like 10 feet long or something players would have to use that so they could actually poke check and uh and stick lift and all that oh i think that was a guy making fun of zuccarello in like the norwegian or swedish league whatever one he right. played in yeah you're um, right that's Zuc- what he's such a long stick this guy came out with like this 12 foot <laughs> stick just <laughs> to make fun of him yeah Players would have to be using those just so they could actually uh, actually grab the puck off of somebody else. <laughs> oh man, yeah. Thankfully, that that won't be the case. But um, yeah, I mean, uh, I think the East Coast is definitely going to be the hard part, right? Like you said, the Atlantic still kind of figuring out where that where that would be. Um, I mean, if I was to hazard a guess on Atlantic Division, Ottawa. I don't know. Like what? What do you think would make the most sense there? Yeah, that's hard because in Canada, anyways, the three Canadian teams in that division are in some of the more affected areas. I think Ottawa and Toronto were having issues at um, 
having issues at one point, whether or not they still do or whether or not they could even house that. Cause I mean, Ottawa, the issue you've got their, their rinks out in the middle of nowhere. Yeah. Yeah. Like I'm just thinking Ottawa cause like, yeah, the rink is kind of in the middle of nowhere. So that might be a plus. Um, but I don't know if there's like accommodations nearby or like, you know, smaller towns out that way from mm-hmm. Ottawa that teams could practice at and all that sort of stuff. I'm not super familiar with Ontario, so I don't know how that would look. But I mean, if you just run down the Atlantic division, like Boston, probably not. Tampa, definitely not. Toronto, mm, Florida, definitely not. Montreal, no, Quebec is bad. Um, Sabres, nope. That's New York. Red Wings, I don't know. How's uh, how's Michigan doing and all this? So, I don't know. Do you just have them play somewhere else? Yeah, at that point, you just combine them in within our division, or you just scrap the Atlantic one and yeah. uh, find find either a neutral site or just use a different division city or something. Yeah. Um, it's going to be tough, too, because like a lot of those small towns, like if people... If- teams wanted to like practice and stuff in like a smaller town like they might have taken the ice out already oh absolutely because it's expensive to keep that when no one's using it yeah um never never mind like the town itself might not want that type of travel and exposure coming into their area yeah um i know uh trudeau has said that you know any player coming back that wants to resume playing in the NHL would have to do a quarantine if they're in Canada. Yep. Um which is, you know, obviously common sense. I think that makes a lot of sense. I think um, in Canada it's even the is it a law like can they enforce that that anyone coming in from anywhere has to quarantine for fourteen days? And they're even starting to enforce it across uh, provinces too, I think. Yeah, they are definitely enforcing it. I'm not sure if it's like a you know a law or like a special enactment or whatever you want to call it right now but they are definitely enforcing that sort of stuff and you know nhl would obviously have a lot of um, eyes on or if you know someone comes from overseas and then they play the next day it'll be pretty obvious if it didn't quarantine so yeah so um and end up with like you got to get the player into the country if they're even allowing it for 14 days and then get them to the location the games are being played if they aren't there already for another 14 days. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, and depending on the timeline, on all this June is realistic, but July right. will probably be very more, more the case. I think now, the way, the way it's being talked about, I don't think we should even be worrying about this until like July or August. Mm-hmm. Just the, the timelines that things are taking like how, if they're just going to start, in, in British Columbia, anyways, they may be releasing the starts of very slow reopening of some some types of businesses to open up at the end of May. So to then have like a professional sports league coming in and doing all of that like a few weeks later, I don't think it's conducive to that plan. So it's probably looking at late July, even to August, if they get get that going here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, on that, like the the massive undertaking that would be to even get players going, like who do you even say would be involved here? It, like which teams? Like do you do you continue the regular season or do you just kind of scrap the rest of that and go straight into playoffs? Because you know you've got teams like Detroit. Would it be 
it's not worth it for them as an organization, as a business, nor is it worth it for the players to go and get into game shape for their 10 games of meaningless hockey. Yeah, that's an interesting point. Um, I think, yeah, if a team is like mathematically eliminated, the county teams have been mathematically eliminated. Detroit? I think it's just Detroit. And that's tough. I think you're, they're going to have to strongly consider doing something like, um, yeah. like a baseball type of playoff, like a one-game playoff maybe um, between teams that are on the bubble. I would I would be supportive of that. Say like I mean, what's the current standings like in uh, the in the West? Because uh, they've got kind of a bit of a bottleneck there, right? Um, so you have like Canucks, Jets, Preds, kind of all in the race there. Yeah, you've got the yeah, like you said, and the Wild are all within four points of each other. Right, and the Wild, the wild yeah. Response. So maybe do a two and two one game playoff and see who makes it and then go right into playoffs yeah. maybe yeah so um, like the but the one the because the, the mlb does do that right where they have the one game playoff for a wild card yep yeah so something like that that could be an option yeah the only thing is like do you do that based on current points or points percentage because there hasn't been the same amount of games played you know um, okay, you mentioned that, and I'm looking at the standings right now. So you've got Calgary sitting in on here on the side, anyways. Calgary sitting in third in the Pacific, but they've got a 486 point percentage. Vancouver's got um, one point less, but a 500 points percentage. <laughs> yeah, so, it could have a very meaningful uh, impact, right? How they determine really. what's going to happen. Very conveniently, in the central, you've got. Uh, the, the three, four, and five teams all have the exact same points percentage, so that actually wouldn't work. <laughs> oh, God. You'd have to go into other tiebreakers. Because <laughs> <laughs> why not, right? <laughs> that sucks. But uh, it would even have an impact on seeding yeah. within the division because like Vegas and Edmonton in the Pacific are tied in points percentage right now. And St. Louis is first in the, is first in the Central. With a 599 points percentage, Colorado second with a 621 points percentage. Hmm. So that could even that hey, could even um, seeding. I said something pop into my mind. So, um, would it make more sense to have every team play in one country? Um, because if, say, you know, one division is playing in Canada or something. Once they meet an opponent who's based in the States, they're going to have to quarantine. Say they come to Canada, right? They're going to have to quarantine when they get here. So it's yes. going to make, you know, it's going to have well, a bit would, of more of an impact. It would cut somewhere. down on the time between between phases of the rest of the season. Mm-hmm. I have also seen that I'm pretty sure certain provinces in Canada are also enforcing a quarantine when you're just coming like traveling interprovincial. Yeah. I think I heard between like for sure Alberta and BC you have to have to quarantine for 14 days as well. So that might even be it would make more sense initially for sure to have everyone quarantined under the same the same umbrella. And then you might you but you might still have to do the same 
transitioning from like regular season to playoffs or between rounds or however however they work that yeah yeah it's gonna be a logistical nightmare with that sort of stuff that would be um, weird in the playoffs because you're not going to want them traveling so would you have all of the games played in one city or would you restructure <laughs> it so it's like the first four games are in the home city or are in the the higher seed city and then the remaining three are in the the lower seed or you know however they want i don't to know that. man you just play them all in the same city yeah um no home ice advantage really it's just you get i guess you get you know last trade that'll be the only or last last change that's the only home ice advantage pretty much um, you know there's no no fans you know what they could do which would be kind of funny is there's some sort of like live stream <laughs> like into the arena with like fans cheering or something that are like watching the it's game. A, it's like a laptop <laughs> or a tablet in every single seat with the, with the volume on it. Just a massive yeah. Zoom chat. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like that could be fun, but yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, I think like, like you said, like the, the teams like Detroit, like, you know, like probably like the sharks, uh, the devils. Sharks are technically able to make it if, um, they win every single game and Calgary or Edmonton lose all of them. But yeah, there's no real chance. But like, like teams like that, like you yeah. just cut them, cut them out. Or it's like they can it a opt little out. easier. Yeah. It's like they, you know, opt they can out. their players or the organization itself just opts out. Like we're not going to make it. We're not going to go through the, the hassle and r- waste of resources. Yeah. Like opt out. And then like their points percentage or something determines like their seating in the, in the draft, you know, something like that or in the lottery um because yeah like it's it's if you can cut out even you know a few teams it's gonna make it easier to 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 manage um because then that's like you know like we'll just ballpark like 75 people you don't have to find accommodation for and provide training facilities for and whatever right so yeah um kind of wild um speaking about the draft um what's that gonna look like so i've been seeing over the last couple of days a lot of um increased discussion about the draft still being held in june they want to they actually kind of are talking about holding it in early june so this would still be before the season is even done which would be interesting Mm -hmm. to see if they hold out players until the next season or if the current season extends long enough to the point that it would pass over where they would normally be allowed to play with their current team. Do they get to play in the playoffs even for, for example, mm-hmm. um, they're, they were supposed to have a meeting today earlier this afternoon. And there's an announcement expected within the next couple of days here on the future of that. So I'll be interested to see how they, how they handle that. What I did see is that um, the draft lottery, they might actually hold it under the old rules that they were doing pre 2012, where it's just, you, you um, have the one winner, only the bottom five teams can win it. And you can only move up four spots if you do win it or something like, however, they used to run it so that they'd get rid of all of the extra fanfare around it and just do a simple, simple lottery. If they hold it in June, is the seating based off of the current standings or? It must be weird 
<laughs> this is gonna be such a weird yeah. like this is gonna be like one of those like asterisk years in like books and like stat websites and everything you know like for for eternity people are gonna look back and be like oh 2020 was the year where the draft it's gonna be like a trivia question like yeah. oh the draft was held before the season ended <laughs> you know like stuff oh, absolutely, like that yeah <laughs> it's gonna be such a stat guy year oh man so it's so weird to think about interesting thing to see for me about that is that ottawa currently holds the second and third picks based off based off of um standing seating <laughs> Thank so they'd you, have, yeah they'd have like the two and five chance of getting the first overall pick they'd have the highest chance between their two picks wow <laughs> i i still can't get over that you know no one no one expected that first round pick to be anything and here it's sitting it could it could be the number one overall pick yeah them to have a team that didn't finish pick. last has the greatest odds of getting <laughs> the number <Yeah>. one <laughs> pick. Yeah, the Buffalo Sabres intensify. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, wow. I mean, in a in a draft as deep as this one is supposed to be, you have the chance to get two players like Alexis Lafreniere and Quinton Byfield or Tim Stutzel, whoever they whoever they pick out of those. Like mm-hmm. that's going to be massive for their rebuild to get that type of star power coming in at once. They knew it was coming. See, they've been... <laughs> you know what their secret is? They've been existing in a shit show for years. So they've been building a tolerance to this. All these other teams, <laughs> <laughs> they don't know what to do right now. But Ottawa's in their element. <laughs> yeah, right? <laughs> this is just another thing for them. It's another day. I have day prepared for this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. They're ready for it. No, but they're 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 gonna potentially be able to draft two thirds of an elite first line. God the next damn. fifteen years if they if they actually pay their talent for Man. fifteen years and have amazing players like they're gonna could, look that's like gonna be a league changer. <laughs> look like geniuses, <laughs> and we all all know that that's not not the case. It's just... Secret geniuses or dumb luck. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they. They really owe the Sharks a big time. Yeah, and then, I mean, you see the on the other side of that trade with, you know, Carlson signing the giant contract and then immediately spending the whole season injured for a variety of things. Like, I'm pretty sure he played okay when he was there, but, um, like, the injuries took a toll on him throughout the whole season. This is probably actually good for yeah. him to get so much of a break to actually heal up properly. Yeah, I remember last year's playoffs where... He was playing like on one groin, basically, and was oh, yeah. just—it was just brutal to watch. And um, another year when he was the Ottawa Senators in the playoff, playing on one foot. Yeah, he's—he's he's really had a tough go because you remember, like his Achilles got sliced too. Oh yeah, um, wasn't that Matt Cook that did that to him? Yes, that was. Yeah, what a great guy. Um, so yeah, he's really had a lot of injuries. So like. What a roller coaster that whole saga was because kind of look back at it, and I know it's kind of like rose colored glasses, but like, did Ottawa maybe see the writing on the walls there and just, you know, this is a great player, but, you know, he's slowing down and <laughs> he's at an all time high after that playoff push. Yeah. It's, uh, 
it's looking like a shrewd so, move, but um, it was a tough one to pull off. Yeah, it's going to be one of those storylines you kind of hold on to in the back of your mind for a couple of seasons just to see how he rebounds next mm-hmm. year. Yeah. And if, if he can actually get himself healthy and not broken or less broken, will yeah, he rebound? Sure. Will he still be the same the same dominant player? Because, I mean, the whole thing with him is like he's he's like he's okay defensively, but the thing is that he was so good offensively that it by far countered that out with his skating and his ability to create offense and transition and everything. So if he can't do that very well, then he's kind of Mm -hmm. a slightly above average player, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. And like the sharks with Burns kind of in that spot that, you know, he would like, um, kind of a weird fit, but do you remember sharks to be that bad? Remember, uh, right before that Senators trade happened, I was playing NHL, I want to say it would have been 18, and I started a franchise mode. I sent you a picture because the Sharks had just traded for Eric Carlson. I sent you a picture <laughs> of their number one D pairing, like, yeah. holy shit, would this would never happen. And then a week later, the Sharks traded for Carlson. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Still never yeah. going to forget that. Yeah, it's one of those, like, oh man, this is never going to be a thing. And then it's like, yep. Oh, um, <laughs> okay. I guess it <laughs> is. Happened. And then turns out it's not as quite unreal as you thought it would be. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, moving along. Um, you have anything else you wanted to, to go into here, Sean? Yeah, so I saw earlier today uh, that it's the 11-year anniversary of the Sidney Crosby-Alexander Ovechkin dual hat-trick game. And I Ooh, thought, like, that's game. like... Yeah, I mean, look how far we've come in the last 11 years between those two players, between those two teams. Yeah, it's, we've seen it's, we've seen the Penguins kind of continually be decent. We've seen two more cups go to Pittsburgh. We've seen Washington get theirs and finally slay the demon in the Penguins to get mm-hmm. uh, to get there. Yeah, so it's kind of like a, any other way. Oh, no, it turned out OK. <laughs> yeah, it's uh I mean, reminiscing over the last, you know, 11 years since that game or since that series, you're, you're a Caps fan, so you kinda, you're, you're kind of more invested in it than, than I am. But uh, how do you see this rivalry between these two players? It's been fierce, man. Like, it's been really, really strong. Um, but I see it more as the teams. Like, I mean, yeah, Crosby and... Ovechkin have like chirped each other a few times on the ice and you know had some interactions but it's really been caps pens like it's been greater than those two players um mm-hmm. you know you've got a lot of insane moments like that um that uh dueling hat trick game you've got the Kunitz you know OT game 7 heartbreaker you've got the Kuznetsov breakaway goal um, you know, you've got moments like David Steckel elbowing Crosby in the head, leading to one of his major injuries. Niskanen cross-checking Crosby in the head in playoffs. Um, yeah. Um, Ovechkin, I think he ran into like who was it? Like, ah, I can't remember who it was. We charged somebody on the Penguins, but it's been it's been brutal, and they always play each other in, in playoffs. So it's been really fun yeah. to watch um, yeah, uh, yeah. kind of remember at the beginning of it 
around like maybe the 2010 season or so that a lot of people felt that that rivalry was rivalry was basically just a manufactured thing to kind of get some sort of storyline or content going on the the newscaster side and you know a lot of the times that focused on the the faces of it you know like the Ovechkin versus Crosby and then like all of those all those moments that you mentioned between the teams has brought it over the last 10 years here to a point where we can actually say there is a decent rivalry between the two teams and it's not like manufactured at all it's the teams playing each other constantly in big situations developing their own storyline it's not it's not forced on anymore yeah it's been um i think part of it's probably like you know the two really hyped up draft picks you know you've got like the next one crosby you've got the russian phenom coming over um uh, you know even like ovechkin being delayed in his start come like playing in the same year as Crosby as, as rookies um their teams both being kind of shit <laughs> and then <laughs> and then you know kind of coming back up to to being great with the you know the progression of both their careers you really saw you know Crosby jump into that leadership role early you know yeah, get I mean, into the series against Crosby Detroit the Penguins yeah absolutely because they were they were kind of on the verge of being moved or sold or whatever until Lemieux came in and Crosby came in and kind of saved them. So it goes yeah. beyond beyond the the on the ice stuff too for for Crosby and Pittsburgh. Yeah, for sure. There's that great storyline of, you know, the Penguins perhaps moving and then Crosby. There's like the the conspiracy theories that the um draft was rigged so that they would get Crosby so that, you know, they'd be exciting to watch again. Um but yeah, I mean getting back to the the players rivalry you have like the quiet canadian humble guy crosby and you have like the you know kind of more over the top um flashy russian guy so you have like that kind of disparity between them they're they're totally different players um so like they attract different fans and um just seeing how they both have progressed in their in their game you know you see Crosby become like a real complete player um somebody who can battle it out in the corners and has like amazing vision and just a great leader and then you see Ovechkin you know just changing his game up from the the speed and, and physicality and changing into that booming one timer <laughs> it's it's been I feel really spoiled to have watched both those guys play. Like I feel like this must be what people who watch just you know, like the Edmonton Oilers dynasty teams play feel like. You know, oh, yeah, you, the watch, you watch the you watch something special, right? Um it's You don't realize it as you're watching it and then you get a chance like now to sit back and think about it. And it's we we kinda got like a really cool storyline to get through here. Mm-hmm. To to reminisce yeah, and, like, on you know, like about. the the Olympic aspect of it as well. Um, just, just great moments, just really great moments. Um, but I think, it, I think that rivalry may have started out, you know, definitely media supported, um, created. Um, but like, like we were talking about those playoff series, man, like they've had a lot of playoff series and it's, they have been, they have lived up to the hype every single year. I know, like for me, I mean, usually it's the end of my my playoff run, but they they're always the 
the highlight of the playoffs for me. Like, I know I'm, oh. I'm kind of biased because I'm a Caps fan, but they're always, they seem to be the most exciting, the most, you don't know what's going to happen series. Anything yeah. can happen. It's, it always goes to seven. <laughs> it's, I mean, how many times to these series, like how many times were the Capitals and Penguins like first and second in the league, basically? Yeah. Both, both so high up in the standings that it was basically like the pinnacle of the playoffs or like the most, yeah. the strongest match up in the round. Yeah, I mean, even when the Caps won the playoffs, it, it felt it was a better feeling when they beat the Penguins. <laughs> like, yeah, it was against an opponent that you truly hated and you had a history with. And then, you know, beating the the, the Lightning, yeah, okay. Um, and then beating Vegas, a brand new team. There wasn't really You're telling that... Me that the Capitals didn't have any history with Vegas? <laughs> no, <laughs> they played them twice. <laughs> twice. Come on, Mark Andre Flurry. <laughs> yeah, I mean Flurry. Flurry is there, but like Vegas, it's it's not the team it's that it didn't feel as good to me. I mean, yeah, fuck Flurry <laughs> for <laughs> the pain he put the team through, but um, they were able to beat him. Um, but that that Penguin series felt amazing yeah well i mean because that was that kuznetsov goal he won it right yeah i'm remembering correctly yeah so i mean that that goal was the one of like probably the most memorable moment of that run maybe Mm -hmm. only by holpies save in game two of the finals yeah but you know that that final like slaying of the dragon moment by kuznetsov like that was kind of the the highlight or the the moment of the playoffs there, there yeah. was so much. There was so much story and narrative around that, around that goal. That you know, it's, it's hard to really put anything else above that. Yeah, there's. I think that's that's the moment where people thought it was for real. Oh um, yeah. I mean, once that you get happened. through that, was there any any doubt that it was going to stop? You know, when the teams were rolling like they were. <laughs> no. Yeah. Absolutely. It's it's fun. It's always fun when a team can beat their rival. Um. I guess it's just a shame that uh you know the blues didn't have to go through the hawks. <laughs> <laughs> um it was it was kind of like I mean what Canucks fans felt when they beat the Blackhawks, you know, like those teams thrashed against each other for a long time and then you know they beat the Blackhawks and just felt like it was all coming together. Um unfortunately didn't win but you know they still got that that feeling of finally <laughs> finally right. beating them um, it's the yeah no, i i totally agree on that one that's that was a major series in that that era for the canucks yeah it's super rewarding when you when that happens um be like if toronto could beat boston right now right like yeah, good point that's that's kind of the existing one that would feel like the Stanley Cup to them because it's like you know the same basically the same rosters just slamming against each other minor tweaks and you know different depth guys and whatnot but um finally overcoming that hump just makes you feel like a million bucks and that you can beat anything so i think like if Toronto was able to do that if they beat them for for whatever reason i'd put money on them to win um cuz you're just overcoming such a big obstacle yeah, and um, you know you you build that momentum 
mm-hmm. and like the team coming together like that, it's hard to it's hard to match that that level of dedication or that level of energy when a team gets going like that. Yeah, it was kind of like um, you know all the sweeps in the playoffs. Um, where a team would sweep and then get swept, <laughs> and then and then they get swept. That was, the, that was the fun part of last year's playoffs, where sufferings from success. You get, <laughs> yeah, you you sweep a team, then you get swept, then you get swept. <laughs> yeah, it's weird just, change. We were just expecting the Cup final to be a sweep as well. Yeah, I'm sure it was just you know you didn't have that battle. It was a little too easy. And then you come in a little flat-footed in the next game when the other team had had to battle for their place to be there. You know, much like the the Columbus sweep, right? Like the Columbus sweeping the, the Lightning. They, they come mm-hmm. in battling for that spot, and Tampa cruises into playoffs. Not ready. Not ready to be there. Yeah, it's, it's, it's one exactly, of the things yeah. I love about sports. It's just that how much of it is mental, you know, like, like 10 times out of 10 people would pick that lightning team to win. I honestly don't think anyone even stayed the Columbus. Like most people had the, the lightning winning in five games at the most. Barely anyone even had the, the blue jackets winning a single game. Well, that was the joke, right? Like lightning in three. <laughs> <laughs> really? Yeah, exactly. And then they had to reissue all of the playoff pools because nobody had it right. There's <laughs> There's like a handful of people who picked the blue jackets and those are probably all jokes. <laughs> it's like, how yeah. long can I get my bracket? Or diehard blue jackets fans. Yeah. It's just, you know, much like the Crosby versus Ovechkin thing, everybody loves the, um, you know, the two different guys coming in the same year. Everyone loves to kind of have that adversarial, you know, guy to root against, guy to root for thing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. There's also the, just the underdog story is just so universally loved in sports. It's it's such a great yeah. thing. And as soon as it looked like the Blue Jackets were going to do something in their their run, they everyone just hopped right on. We were all like, "Let's oh, see, I let's did. see where this I goes." <laughs> yeah, I, I, I remember I remember texting you and Snapchatting you when those games were happening. Like, what are we seeing right now? <laughs> what is happening? This is so wild. Uh, it was it was a great. Just, yeah, like, just want to hop on those stories. The underdog, the the least likely thing to happen like sweet let's see what happens yeah yeah i mean i love it i miss it so much wanted so, to go back while we're, uh, while we're talking about the blue jackets how about their how about their goalie situation now because that was a big uh thing over the summer that they lost their you know all-star one of the best in the league goaltenders to the panthers and sergey bobrovsky and they they started rolling with two rookies um Jonas corpusalo and elvis merzikins Mm-hmm. And now they've re-signed both of them to a couple-year contracts. They're making a combined like half of what Bobrovsky is. Yeah, like Merzikins is at like four, and Corpusel's at like two point eight or something. So they're together like you know a fraction of, <laughs> of Bob's. It's great. Yeah, I think so... they're, they're it's smart. You know, we kind of saw teams except for the Islanders, come away from that tandem idea um, in the last few seasons. Um, so it'll be kind of interesting to see how that plays out for them, um, if they eventually you know, trade one of those guys, or if they keep them both and just roll a 1A, 1B situation. I feel, I feel like um, 
Elvis isn't going to be the type of guy who wants to be a 1B or 1A, 1B situation. He kind of want to be the starter. Yeah. I so at that. a certain point in, you know, by the time, because they both have two-year contracts. So at the, you know, probably two years for them to battle it out, see who emerges as the victor. And the other one gets traded or signs elsewhere or whatever. Yeah. Yeah, I think it'll be an interesting couple of years for them. But, um, you know, everybody kind of wrote them off after they went all in and it didn't really work out for them. Oh, I absolutely did. I was like, um, you've got two rookie goalies who have no experience, basically. Neither of them are looking too promising. Like one of them, like one of them supposed to be good, but goalies don't usually develop for a little bit into the league. So I wasn't expecting much out of them. And sure enough, they proved me wrong big time again. And, uh, they they held their own. They helped the Blue Jackets stay competitive. Yeah. Just another one of those things where sports can only predict so much, right? Like it's that's what makes it great. Um, if you knew what was going to happen every game and you get bored, um, yeah, you know the emergence of a couple great goalies and um, you know Bjorkstrand coming out as a fucking sniper. <laughs> um, Seth Jones really. You know, cementing his place as one of the top demon in the league. Um, How's that trade looking now in retrospect? Oh, Seth Jones for Ryan Johansson. Yeah, I mean, I think they both kind of got what they wanted. Um, yeah. Fred's had that run, um, and then really think they would have had a different outcome if Johansson was hurt, wasn't hurt in the final. He had that weird compartment syndrome in his leg. Remember? Um, right. I think he would have really helped them um, in the, for in the sure. Final. He would have been huge for their for their depth. Being um, at the time, he was like one of their best centers. So it's a huge yeah. loss against a team like the Penguins, who have two of the best centers in the league. Yeah, kind of need your, your two way center, your best players going. Yeah, but you know Columbus is really reaping the benefits right now, um, taking advantage of that defensive depth that Nashville had. Yeah, grabbing Jones the expendable a... one and getting future future Norris winner Seth Jones. <laughs> yeah. There's no way yeah. he doesn't. Like it'll probably be a year or two while everyone else gets their trophies ahead of him, because he's only mm-hmm. twenty five right now, but you know, give him give him another two, three seasons, he's absolutely gonna be on that ballot. Oh yeah, for sure. If he's yeah. if he's not already this year, to be honest. Yeah, and I think, you know, with um Corpusalo and Merzikens, um if they can flip one of those guys for some, you know, some forward prospects or something, I think that would be good for them. Um, Time to play up the tandem while you can and get back some of that shit that you sent out to, to get guys like Duchesne and Dzingle and all that. Yeah. Cause I mean, they're, they're really going to want those better forwards in it like very soon with between, between like Jones and Varensky, you've got one of the, best pairings in the league mm-hmm. so you're gonna want like one of the better forward lines to go along with that and take advantage of having just this dominant dominant top unit and dominant top power play unit to just, yeah. just over, yeah, overpower really the opposition kind of fill the gap that the bread man left um i think yeah they, if they you know just kind of hang on to what they've got and be smart about it i think they they can be back in there and the, you know the good news is that they're playing well still like they're they're right in there is the kind of that blue collar torts team <laughs> exactly 
So maybe they want to keep that identity and just bring in more guys like that. If it works, it works, right? Yeah, for sure. That's the thing. That's the thing. You make a good point with the tort with the Tortorella coach team is that he's probably he's probably going to look more for the hardworking, grindy type players versus versus skill mm-hmm. to fit into his uh, his systems. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, well, with with those contracts as well, um, this is in particular is four million per year. How do you feel about that number value for a goalie with like twenty twenty games of experience in the league? Yeah, it seems a little high. Um, you know, he obviously was stud, but that's a small sample size to go off of. Um, yeah, I don't know. It's kind of kind of risky, but ultimately, it's not a very high number. It could look bad if you know he kind of if his stats deflate a bit. But mm-hmm. I'm okay with it because it's you know it's not the end of the world if he's overpaid by you know a couple million, but and it's a yeah. uh, short length, so exactly. You might get a little bit more now, but it's only a two-year contract, and mm-hmm. and need that that one or two million over the next couple of years. That he might be overpaid if he's not as good next year as he was this year. Yeah, and plus, if he stays at that level, like that's a bargain. If he stays For that sure. good, that's that's a steal. Um, they're gonna have to pay him, you know, at the end of that. But, um, you know, that could be a really attractive trade ship too if they really need forwards or something down the road mm-hmm. um, could flip them keep Corpusalo or whoever else they've got they've got Kivelniks or <laughs> whatever just Merzlikin's name spelled a different way <laughs> Columbus is just like mashing the keyboard with her goalies <laughs> <laughs> yeah um, but yeah I mean it's, it's I kind of felt a little weird that he got more than Corpusalo, but I mean he did play really well and Corpusalo was hurt for a long time. Mm-hmm. So um I was kind of torn looking at the comparables because you've got Gordon Bennington signed his contract, and I think he's getting five ish. He had better stats than um Merzikins in basically the same amount of games last in his his uh debut season. But then you've got Andrew Hammond as well. Who had had that 24 game run at the end of uh, 2014-15 put up even better yep. numbers than Bennington and I just learned this he was actually 7th in Vesna voting that season as well oh wow didn't realize that but um, he only got like one one and a half million in his contract after that year hmm. so I was kind of torn figuring out where where to compare of those three Merzikans had the worst numbers in about the same amount, or in about the same amount of games as Bennington, and more than Hammond. Yeah, but, I don't know. as you say, short-term contract. Columbus isn't going to be in dire need of that of that um, extra couple million over the next couple seasons. And why not do something like that now? Maybe there's a bit of a give and take. Like we'll pay you a little bit more now if you take a little bit less on the next one. Kind of one of those types of deals. Usually, it seems to work the yeah. other way around, but you never know what they what they discuss behind closed doors. Yeah. It just seems weird that, you know, Corpusalo has been their backup guy for for a few seasons and he played really well behind Bob last year and came out of the gate super hot and then just made like you know, basically like three quarters of what the gamers leakins. Yeah. Kind of kind of odd, but I guess that's what happens when you get like four shutouts in 
six games or whatever. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> whatever he got. Exactly. Um, <laughs> so yeah, two 26-year-old goalies set to be in a tandem. That's a good spot to be in. I think so. Because they're, they're just going to be hitting their prime years as over the next next handful of years. So mm-hmm. be getting the best. The best they're going to be probably. Yeah. Yeah, so shout out to the Columbus Goaltending Academy. I don't know what, what they're doing, but... We're going to take the reins from Washington right away, maybe. Yeah. Yeah, so then they'll have to start trading all their goalies to Colorado. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, Grubauer apparently is uh, is uh, recovering really well, so he might be back in action when when the league comes back. Which would be really great for the Avalanche. Yeah, they're gonna want they're gonna want a little bit more of an experienced goalie going into the playoffs this year. Yeah. Yeah, he was dynamite for them last season and he's been good this year. Um what's the name of their backup? Um it is Pavel Francouz. Yeah, Franco. He hurt as well. Franco, yeah. okay. Yeah, no, he's he's not hurt. He was just filling in. Yeah, or was he hurt? I don't know. Um, Colorado, anyway. the answer's probably. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, anyway, good news for them. Um, I don't know, any other goalie or non-goalie-related news? Yaroslav Halak re-signed as well in Boston just uh, over the last couple of days. Um, that was right. a one-year 2.5 or 2.25 million-dollar contract. Um He's actually been an insanely good... I'm going to call him a 1B in Boston because he's played half of the games the last two seasons in Boston. And he's put up very respectable numbers. As we know, the Bruins have been a very good team the last two years. And part of that is due to the consistent play of Halak. Putting up a 922 and 919 save percentage, 234, 239 goals against average. Like Those are consistent numbers, and that's the kind of... That's the, kind of, that's the level of play that is help the Bruins be as dominant as they have been the last two years, especially as he's been splitting the games basically with two caress between injuries and uh, whatever, whatever's gone on there. Yeah. It allows Rask to, to play his best, right? Um, you know, there's, there's always a risk of playing your goalies too much and, you know, having a guy that everybody's got faith in to, to play the, you know, the game two of a back to back or whatever, you know, one out of three games or even close to one out of two games for Halak is, mm-hmm. you know, it, it really puts the team in a good place to have faith in that guy. And it seems like Halak's been in the league forever. Um, you know, he dates, he dates back to 2006, 2007. With, uh, yeah, with I mean, Montreal. Yeah. I mean, he's been triggered as a Caps fan. Um, <laughs> so with Halak. Um, it's, yeah, I mean, he's, he's, he's a great good. Great goalie, great backup for them. They've Boston's done a good job of picking up those backups. I mean, they had uh, Kudobin in there. He was kind of the same story, you know, like that dependable guy put in. Yeah, you know, good team all around Boston, and you know it doesn't stop with their backup. So kudos to him getting re-signed, rewarded for his good play. Definitely playing a lot of minutes. Definitely, and I mean, his numbers are showing no sign of really going down, so he's probably still, even though he is 34, he's probably still got a few years left unless um, he wants to shut it down on his own. 
But, uh, you know, journeyman yeah, backup, basically. Or I'm sure oh. he'll kick around for a few more leagues, or for a few more years, pardon me. Yeah, goalies are goalies are weird, you know, play so late into their 30s. Yeah, I mean, that's all I have. Um, I don't really have anything else. So I think that uh, wraps things up for this episode. Um, how do you think the league should resume this season, or should they just move on to next year? Let us know on social media. You can find us on Instagram at ClapperCast Media or on Twitter and Facebook at ClapperCast. Thank you all for tuning in, and we'll see you next time with more Hockey Talk.